Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off. Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of Bilge Pumps from us getting back. We're actually recording this on the Wednesday, and I'm going to attempt to put it up on the Wednesday. So this is Bilge Pumps episode 91, and... Fingers crossed I get it up on time, and it is the regular Bill Trump's crew. There is one extremely tired, still closing his eyes, Drakenafel. Hello. There is one Jamie who is up on a Wednesday sorting things out and listening in. And there is one Dr. Clark, or Alex, who keeps being uh, mauled by fluffs who sporadically come into his office because they're still trying to remember that he's home, and therefore the biscuit supply has renewed. These are important things in a world of a fluffy dog. Yeah, so, so, how are we doing, gentlemen? I'm vaguely awake. Well, that's always an improvement on the, over not being vaguely awake. Yes, the um, the news in the past couple of weeks seems to have been rather dominated by the um, well, two things, at least in naval terms. One, drones of varying descriptions. Um, and two, the um, Chinese uh, carrier type 003 seems to be imminently set to head out into the wider world. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how quickly, I mean, we're, when we were at the, the Naval Defence Conference almost a month ago now it was very interesting to see how far drones had actually come compared to perhaps what people might think might or might have thought based on previous news media but it's interesting how you know in more recent times the amount of news and developments in the underwater surface and air drone world seems to have just skyrocketed all of a sudden um, I have a I have a feeling that I mean obviously a lot of these projects have been in development for quite some time, but the more recent deployments of drones bearing sizes in Ukraine has probably significantly influenced this. Uh, that the amount of news that's being released, kind of people going, yeah, look, no, we have our we have these systems as well. Or we have better systems, hmm. um, which would be interesting. It'll be interesting. It's a case of one of the things with drone systems, though. I. It's going to sound strange, but it's almost kind of like guns in the 1900s and 1905. The ones you see put on the display stands and being talked about as being the cutting edge are the Ooh. ones they want you to see being talked about at the cutting edge. And they probably mean they have another one in testing, another generation in testing, and a next generation beyond that on the drawing board. Mm. And it's becoming, it's, it's almost a case of at what point do you take the stuff off the out of testing and actually put it into production, becomes the debate, rather than what is actually available. Yeah, although it still is a very experimental set of technologies um i think if 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 we were in a period where 
drones were in widespread s- service as a standard item, that might well be the case. But I, th- I think at the moment they're probably running, they might have a couple of different generations of drones under test in some way, shape or form. But I, I don't think it's kind of subsequent generations. I think it's probably minor iterations sort of you know like here's a drone we've currently got out in testing so very basic almost will it fly will it stay will it stay stable or underwater will it keep at a certain depth or on the surfaces can it stay upright um and then you've got the more recent emergence of of ones that are actually you know testing out the viability of carrying weaponry and we're talking about autonomous systems so obviously we've had remote control drones for a while and there, there may be then systems that are slightly more heavily armed and slightly more autonomous currently in the works, but they're probably still experimental and waiting for feedback from other systems that are currently under testing. But I think there is also a, there seems to be a trend now where navies have gotten confident enough in drones as being the future that they're beginning to prepare either prepare to adapt or actually adapting to the future of drones mm-hmm. which i mean what one of the articles that we were looking at earlier this week um is this article about the u.s san antonio class the which is currently obviously amphibious assault vessels but they, 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 yeah, what's the article say? It says um, they're possibly being adapted or having adaptations made available to allow them to launch and recover unmanned underwater vehicles because obviously it has a well deck. So that makes the recovery of underwater vehicles quite useful because it means you don't have to haul them out um, of the water with a crane over the side which is more difficult and more dangerous in a lot of cases. And that, that, I mean, that kind of ties into what we discussed in various episodes previously about the fact that something like a, an LHD or other similar large amphibious assault vessel would actually make a very good drone mothership. Because unlike your average major surface combatant, you know, San Antonio is considerably larger than a Burke or any other form of destroyer. Um, it's not an aircraft carrier, so you're not taking away from that role just yet. But as a larger vessel, it has considerably more internal volume. Um, it's already designed in a way to launch and deploy smaller craft, you know, landing ships and so forth. And so it should, in theory, with relatively minimal adaptation, be able to launch and recover significant numbers of drones. And the drone that's in the picture we see here is uh, not exactly a small one. No. No. So, you know, we're talking at least the size of a minivan, I suppose, um, which makes it very useful, I would imagine. It's not limited in range. Well, at least not drastically limited in range, like mm. drones. Um, it's you know, plenty of onboard capability for your capacity for uh, you know, sensors and weapons. 
So, you know, isn't it amazing? Once again, we come back to these um, utility vessels end up being the most adaptable. I, I guess it's because... They're basically <laughs> a box in the water. That's it. Yeah. As we discussed before, and we've talked about this before, if we, whenever we've been talking about, okay, what do we modify into a drone mothership? It's usually been Bay class, Albion and Bulwark. This class of the San Antonio class, or sometimes LHDs, when we're saying we're going for the full suite. Yeah, but, we're doing airborne as well. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Because as someone told me, you could actually make a... Um, quite a large aircraft which you could take off on an LHD stack if you didn't have to worry about the G factor that the squishy organic bit in the, in it oh. had to take. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, to be honest, those, particularly the large US LHDs, the, um, you know, I, I can see them being much more useful as a large drone carrier than a Harrier carrier, to be honest. Mm. Um, especially if they've got a... Um, uh, a dock as well as the deck. Yeah, well, I mean, the, one of the other things is, you know, modern aircraft carriers have to have fairly significant machinery space. I mean, think about you know, any modern aircraft carrier, whether it be a Queen Elizabeth or a, a, a Nimitz or Ford or whatever, but the modern aircraft carriers tend to need fairly large machinery spaces because they've got to get up to a reasonable speed to help with takeoff. And even with the automation on the Queen Elizabeth, they also have to have a huge amount of space to hold crew because you've got the crew of the ship and then the air group and all the air, the, the people associated with that. And both of those take up a significant amount of volume, whereas with a drone uh, carrier, not only are the drones themselves, at least at the moment, usually smaller than manned aircraft or whatever, um, but they don't have to, you don't need... 30 plus knots to be able to get them to take off or in the surface vessels and underwater vessels just launch them they're not being not manned you don't need pilot accommodation or pilot briefing rooms and they also need a lot less maintenance because again you know without all the oxygen systems ejection seat systems and so forth there's fewer bits in them to go wrong so you also don't need a ship that's you necessarily need a ship that's 60, 70, 100,000 tons to carry a meaningful payload, which you do if you're, if you're, if you're going to get an aircraft carrier, as, as you know, things have proven, you really have to be over at least 60,000 tons to have a meaningful air group. Mm -hmm. But you could quite easily get a meaningful surface underwater and air group on a LHD that's two thirds that displacement. Which is useful, but also we have to start thinking of once you're using the world deck, you're talking about using underwater drones. Mm -hmm. Good. What about using surface for uh, surface drones, etc.? We, we've discussed this before. Basically, the LHD is the theoretical one-stop shop for everything. Mm. Well, I think with the with something like a San Antonio as opposed to a full fuller mm. um, LHD with a full flight deck. It, I think in some ways it has the capability for the more all-round approach because some, some amphibious assault ships don't have a well deck. And even for the ones that do, if they've got a full flight deck, yes, you could do underwater operations aft and you could do flight operations off of the, off of the full length flight deck and the hangar. 
um, but it does leave you a bit short if you want to do surface ops as well. Whereas mm-hmm. something like a San Antonio or an Albion, um, they have an extensive-ish aft flight deck, so you're not going to be launching, you know, large fixed-wing aircraft replacement type UAVs, but anything that's got VTOL capability, um, you know, quadcopter drones um, and other similar things like that, or fixed-wing drones that have a, a short takeoff capability, um, you know, which we've seen things like global hawk or predator type drones not necessarily those particular ones but similar you could quite easily operate them off of the aft flight deck of a ship like that and what that means is it also you've now got the amidships area where you would typically hold the uh, you know ribs and other things for amphibious operations and they can be repurposed for surface vessels um Mm -hmm. But the problem, I guess, is repurposing an amphibious assault ship as a Mm. drain operating vessel. Yeah. Um, What do you do for amphibious assault ships? Well, I I think it depends on the Navy, because for smaller navies, which let's face it these days is basically anything that's not China or the US, we do have that problem because... I suppose you, you, you'd either be looking at one of two things. You'd either be looking at losing some of your amphibious assault capability in favour of gaining drone capability, or potentially you might be looking at something like... Um, so, because like, I think they, 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 there's... Albion and Bulwark, in theory in the UK, for example, should, in theory, could be around for another five, ten years. But there's been various movement and talk back and forth over the last few years about decommissioning one or the other or both ahead of time. But then what you could do, if, if especially in the current situation where defence spending's gone up a little bit, you could look at maybe, okay, how about we start the replacement programme early so we build some new LHAs or LHDs or whatever. Um, and then because you're replacing them early, you retire them early, you give them a, a full refit overhaul, then keep them in service instead of scrapping them. And the refit overhaul maybe gives it another 10 years life. So in the case of Albion and Bulwark, maybe that makes gives them another 15 years and you total. And then you use them as refit them as your drone carriers so it will require a bit more money but you don't lose your amphibious capability and also given that these will be kind of the first gen drone carriers they're kind of your hms hermes hms eagle uss langley equivalents you don't necessarily want to be investing huge amounts of money in brand new purpose-built things so in that case yeah it's more like an argus arc royal eagle equivalent than a a hermes hosho type Mm -hmm. Langley as well, obviously being an, adapt- an adapt- adaptation, and pretty much the same way that aircraft, ca- the early aircraft carriers in the early 1920s were, it it lets you use an older vessel to learn how to ma- how to operate these things, and then once it reaches the end of its whole life in another 10, 15 years, well, that's fine because you've learned the lessons, you know that you could do a lot better, and therefore you don't need it anymore, yeah. and you can build the, the next I- greatest thing. 
because I mean, the one thing you don't want is the situation you've got at the moment with um, Queen Elizabeth and Prince of Wales, where you either have an aircraft carrier or an assault ship. Yes. Yeah. This, and I mean, again, this is, I think. Well, this is let's the, be honest about that. And, and, and we keep having that conversation. That's a lovely idea, but that's only an idea when you have wars of choice. Mm. If you have any other scenario, you ain't going to have an aircraft carrier or an assault ship. Mm. You're going to have and an aircraft carrier. Um, the legacy, we're talking about the Falklands War a lot at the moment because it's the anniversary. Mm. It's the 40th anniversary. Uh, let's talk about another ship quickly, which has the legacy of being this sort of, uh, this two things. It's called HMS Hermes. It's supposed to be the commando carrier. I think his task group commander, Michael Clapp, was expecting it assigned to him the whole way down. But no, she had all the helicopters taken off, given to hit, uh, put onto various other ships, and she was assigned a, Harry, a full Harrier fleet, a Harrier air group. And she was critical for it. She was the, yeah. she became the she was the critical carrier really down there because she could carry far more Harriers than and invincible mm. yeah Keep and you sit there and go more modern equipment. This is the scenario you're dealing with. This is what you're dealing with. So what would, ha- what would happen? What, so what would happen to San Antonio's? Would they be come drone carriers or marine carriers in this sort of situation? Because let's face it, it'll be one or the other. It won't be both. Probably would become a drone carrier. Oh, they, uh, they, they can. Which one does the Navy? This is going to sound terrible. Which one will the Navy <laughs> find more useful? And will they Probably think they can shove the Marines off onto a, sh- a ship taken up from trade? Well, also remember the, um, the as I said, the US and China are the two exclusions to the general rule because they are batch yeah. producing these ships. So. No. They could China's mass producing. China's mass producing them. I <laughs> well, the US is batch producing them. They still have a bunch of San Antonios on order, so in theory, they could convert one or two of their earlier ones and just add another couple onto the end of the production run. Um, whereas, yeah, everybody else has to make sacrifices of some description. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, I think that you know that's what would be need, you know, countries like Australia would be needing to plan to do that sort of thing to its LHDs because I can't see them being useful in anything other than a, you know, peacekeeping, peacekeeping operation or disaster relief operation when it, um, so, so if it comes to anything like peer on peer, then they'll either just be mothballed or turned into something more useful, such as an easy submarine drone carrying vessel to maintain, to keep our sea lanes open. Or so. alternatively, what they'll do is they'll find themselves grouped into the Commonwealth Task Group, made up of Canadian, British, and Australian ships, with the Royal Mar- uh, with basically whatever Royal Marines amphibious group carrying capacity is, probably the Royal Australian Navies, probably possibly the Singaporean Navies amphibious group, all combined it together into what in my mind would be a light division possibly even full divisional force, depending on how the Singaporean construction goes. And that would be quite a scary force, but that's going to be as an allied combined force, of which they're going to be very essential units. However, the trouble is, and I would point this out before Jamie does critique me for this, the Australian (laughs) government doesn't actually acknowledge that as as a reality of their capability, and no one's done exercises to test that out. And that would be the key thing to check if it works. It could be a very useful force. It would be a very critical force, 
but you need to actually test it out before you can say it's going to be used. But, you know, again, look at what you've got there for a for a um, frontline naval task group. Um, do you really want ships that can't go any faster than 19 knots? Well, that's that what group? the amphibious task group often does. So they would come behind in one group. They would probably, honestly, you'd probably put a Canberra, it would be the task group lead in, in the amphibious task group, and the Queen Elizabeth would surge ahead with the F-35s in the battle group in the carrier battle group to clear the way. That's right. Anyway. Oh, the probably somewhere in front of that going, hello, Mr. Submarine. But, but again, I mean, when you come back to what we were saying a minute ago about, you know, Queen Elizabeth um, and Prince of Wales, there's no chance of them becoming a commander carrier. Um, if you give yourself the option of converting a, an LHD into a drone carrier, surface and subsurface, you'll never become a, a, a assault ship again, would it? No, because it's going to be useful for the Navy. Too useful and this for, is the thing. Too, too useful in, in, in more situations than... For the Navy, yeah. Yeah, well, not just for the Navy, for the strategic... No, especially, this is especially in Australia's case, because let's be honest, who do the, troop, who do the troops belong to that get put on the ship? The Army. So therefore, we have that's a... supporting the Army operations. And yeah. whilst you might claim it's a combined defence, you might claim yeah. they're going to be lovely and friendly. But in war, <laughs> uh, just as in uh, prior to World War Two, the British government suddenly turned around and went to the Royal Air Force. What do you think you're planning on doing? Oh yes, we're going to send all our aircraft to the Far East on the Royal Navy carriers. Then the Royal Navy carriers can come back for their for their aircraft. And the Royal Navy turns around and goes, actually, we need those carriers and aircraft. And the RF go, well, you can't have the aircraft because we own them. That's why the R the RF ends up losing control of the fleet air arm. What control did they have? Because I mean, I mean, because they were basically yeah, yeah, the only, what they needed. Yeah, look, the only the only reason why I slightly debate this would be because um, we've had a combined forces structure now for quite a while, and our forces are too small. I think for um, the such politics to have survived the last couple, couple of decades. Am I wrong? Could be very wrong. To be honest, though, I think no, it's a, the, the larger problem, to be honest, these days is that navies face a, a bit of a, a a difficult choice and therefore the governments do as well there are too many ship classes now that are necessary for a navy to have if it wants to be a fully all spectrum navy and it's it's it means if you want to maintain that all spectrum capability you have to spend a lot more money which most governments don't want to do and if they don't want to do it they then have to accept well which parts are we going to drop because let's face it, you know, in the at the beginning of the 20th century, you had three types of ship generally. You had the battleship, you had the cruiser in varying flavors, and you had the destroyer. So it wasn't too difficult for even a relatively small country to have either a, a couple of battleships or a battleship, or if they were really pressed, maybe a big armored cruiser standing in for one. A handful like a of cruisers and, and a couple of squadrons of destroyers. But then, you know, by World War One, you've thrown battle cruisers into the mix. In the interwar period, you have a split between heavy and light cruisers. 
Um, then and you've also introduced aircraft carriers and then amphibious dedicated amphibious assault ships. So now and then now okay, fair enough, the battleship and the cruiser most I mean the battleship went away. The cruiser mostly went away. Um, but it, then you had to introduce submarines and anti-submarine vessels as well. So nowadays, if you want to be an all-round navy, you have to have submarines, you have to have anti-submarine vessels, you have to have anti-aircraft vessels, i.e. destroyers, you have to have aircraft carriers, you have to have amphibious assault ships, and that's before you get into the realm of, uh, do you want to be a nuclear power or not, in which case you need to add ballistic missile subs, at least, to the equation. Um, and now you've got to add drone carriers. To yeah, and now, you, now we're adding drone carriers to all of that. So... You know, a lot of navies have already said, you know, stuff it, we're not having the aircraft carrier component. But if you don't have the aircraft carrier component, then your amphibious ships are your only real power projection. Because an anti-aircraft destroyer or an anti-submarine frigate or a sub, they can clear the seas, theoretically, against a given size of opponent, but they can do precious little to affect anything on land outside of maybe some shore bombardment with a deck gun and maybe lobbing a few cruise missiles at things, but they can't actually take and hold anything. Only an aircraft carrier can mount the kind of sustained air operation that might cause a country to give in through, you know, just sheer assault power because the aircraft can reach a lot further in to the country with a lot more, and the carrier has a lot more munitions. But if you don't have that, then your only other means of power projection is physically landing troops for which you need the amphibious assault ship which I think is why most of the countries that don't have carriers have amphibious assault ships in varying flavours. But now if you've got to add the drone carrier to that mix to make sure that that ship gets through or isn't immediately destroyed, you know, a, a lot of navies are going to have to go, well, either you have to give us a 20 25% increase in funding or we're going to become effectively the 21st century equivalent of a coastal defence force only. You know, we can go and help out some friends if we want, but we have no no further power projection capability of our own because there's no point in having half half a projection capability if lacking the other half means the first half is never going to reach the the shore. But these drone carriers, like you know, mm. we've seen this, the uh, civilian drone um, vessel that China is testing at the moment, um, mm. not, to make, not to mention it's a rather large uh, autonomous surface component. Wouldn't that return that sort of power projection capability? It could, in theory. Um, the 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 problem is that you've still got to, you know, even if it's a relatively cheap vessel, you've still got to build it, maintain it, crew it, and so forth. Um, and all of the drones that have been tested so far still require motherships of some sort. Um, they're they're all either well, things you have to take to location and deploy yeah. or in the case of some of these <clears throat> some of the slightly larger unmanned surface vessels they're effectively in the same realm as torpedo boats were in the at the beginning of the 20th century and that yes technically they are their own seagoing vessel but they're not going to go tremendously far um, as compared to you know a 10,000 ton destroyer that can go across the pacific and back I mean, yeah. Again, when looking at the research vessel that China's put out, uh, the mm. Zhuhai Cloud, 
you know, it's uh, 89 meters long, top speed of 18 knots, um, but it can, you know, um, deploy a drone swarm. Now, I guess, once again, I suppose it's not really, eh, well, is it a frontline vessel? Because, I mean, what, you know, it, it, you send a drone swarm against a fly, um, what, what can an F-35s or against a drone swarm? Um, I think it depends on what you define as frontline, because if we're used to the Western thinking of the front line is a war that happens somewhere over there, away from us, it's not really because at 18 knots, it'll be it'll turn up after the rest of the war has been fought and done. Um, but from a Chinese perspective, where they think of the front line as the Western Pacific, I in their own backyard, it pretty much is a front line vessel. Because um, if it's got once it's got full capabilities going, because you don't need to go particularly fast to just mm. you know to get to the bottom end of your back garden. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's it, it is interesting because one of the other things, obviously, is that we've seen recently is speaking of drone swarms, the various drone swarms that were reported as harassing U.S. ships off of California. Mm. And there's been some FOI documentation, which is... And they were deployed, well, allegedly deployed from a yeah. Hong Kong registered cargo vessel. So. Yeah, and some of so, the, the, the reports are sort of say, well, so we think some of these came from this civilian vessel that refused to respond to any communication. And we think some of them were personal quadcopters of people on fishing boats who were just having a bit of fun, you know, just mm. poking around. And, you know, some of the US ships were left a little bit high and dry, whatever they wanted to do, because obviously there are anti-drone systems for small drones like that around these days. But most of the US ships that were facing these things, even though this was 2019, didn't have these abort the, those anti-drone systems aboard. So they were left with do nothing or do something extremely hostile, you know, like start firing off CIWS or activating full power radar arrays in the middle of an active shipping lane. Mm. Um, which, you know, it, it, it's, I guess it's the modern equivalent of that. Yes, we are a Russian flagged spy ship, but honestly, we're a trawler. So you can't tell us to go away following NATO exercises and so forth, except with multiple drones like this, you can probably actually get an awful lot more information than the old spy ships could, because you can get, you know, the, an old, the old spy ship, it, you might have someone with a camera and a telescopic lens taking distant shots and listening in on some interesting em traffic whereas with multiple drones you can basically build a full three 360 degree 4k 6k or 8k image of exactly what this ship looks like down to the rivets and what are they going to do about it and, and which and which um controls the um crew had their hand on in the uh in the bridge yeah yeah well you know the russian the old russian spy trawler they might be able to go oh well you know that ship you know, it, it did an interesting turn at a certain speed, whereas these drones, you know, what there's, and I mean, okay, fair enough, you could do put something rather low tech like reflective screening on the windows, but technically speaking at the moment, one of these drones with a decent zoom on a camera could literally just be filming through the window of a bridge um, at a few uh, kilometer or so and watching exactly what the crew does, exactly what controls they're using and if it gets close enough or the optics align properly possibly even read the labels on the controls on the bridge 
um, which is a huge wealth of data beyond what people could expect to have had before. Um, and, and, again, and just to me, it, it's, it gets even more disturbing when you consider that um, hyperspectral cameras mm. these days are becoming far more common. And with such cameras, you can do things like figure out what materials something is made of mm. from the combined signature reflected from everything from ultraviolet through to a microwave. Yeah, so, which means if you um, want, if you've got low profile ships like a Zumwalt, um, was, and maybe which was one of the ones zoomed. Yeah, or um, or maybe a, a brand new U.S. aircraft carrier. Or even an older one that just, ha- or even an America glass that just happens to have a few F 35s parked out on deck. And you're thinking, I'd really like to know what the material makeup is of the um, reflected, the radar reflecting reducing coating. We just send a few drones over, we get, get, uh, get some interesting readings off it. It may not be 100%, but it'll certainly point you in, in the right direction. And again, this is the point it's like, what, do, what do you do about it? You, you, well, you, if you're, you, of course, Queen Elizabeth class, you do have some fairly sophisticated anti-drone equipment, which well, it work, will testify to. Well, it work, we know it works on civilian drones, but will, will it? this is the thing. It's an escalating arms race of new technology. You know, um, a, a couple of three-inch AA guns and a couple of 50 cal machine guns were perfectly adequate against what were effectively glorified box kites in the mid to late World War One period, but they were very rapidly obsoleted when they built aircraft that you know weren't made out of your local craft supply stores um, inventory and hey look balsa wood is a perfectly lovely material to make an aircraft out of everyone's these days yeah it's completely balsa. radar transparent <laughs> uh, we, we bring, bring back the mozzie i say yeah we, we're, we're literally back to the old to the old piano factories making making the next generation of attack aircraft but um, it'd be cheaper than F thirty five. Actually, probably not because the wood's so scarce. Yeah. yeah, these days. Um, but and then, the, of course, there's also the craftsmen required for it because, let's be honest, they haven't been exactly employed for the last few years. So you're going to have to get a couple of I don't know ninety year olds out of retirement to start doing the work and training up everyone, and they ain't yeah. going to come cheap. But but the thing is, you know, in all seriousness, what 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 are navy supposed to do about it? The one idea would be, you know, stay out of active shipping lanes. And then so you're on your own. If anyone comes near you, they're obviously acting with hostile intent and you can take more active countermeasures if you've got, you know, a hardened drone that's proof against your your more passive anti-drone measures. Then, you know, if you're in the middle of a dead zone in the Pacific and a drone pops up over you, then, you're like, well, OK, you know, fair warning. Otherwise, I'm going to shoot you down um, with, a, with, with your CIWS or whatever. Um, but that a prevents you from sailing on the most commonly used shipping lanes, which are commonly used for good reason. Um, and in peacetime, if you if that's now your new policy, that excludes you from going and monitoring some of the densest shipping concentrations on the planet. Because um, you know if you can't deal with these, if you don't want these drone swarms monitoring your every move, and you can't deal with them, you have to physically stay away from them. And some nations don't have that choice. Some nations, their, their entire coastline or a good chunk of it is busy shipping lanes. I'm sure you don't so, really want to be a mobile EW constantly emitting yeah. the platform either because, yeah. um, you know, 
you might actually upset some important business for those other ships around you. Yeah, and 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 also, I mean, to be the other thing, to be perfectly honest, is that because drones are so cheap, if you build them with relatively limited capabilities, it may even be in your opponent's interests to keep spying on you with cheap and disposable drones during peacetime whilst you constantly try and stop them with your various anti-drone tech because all you're doing is giving them, you know, yeah, you stop the drone that's five kilometres away, but the drone that's 15 kilometres away is just going, yes, yes, please continue to transmit all the uh, EM signature of your anti-drone device. Um, and they just keep repeating it day after day, week after week. And then when wartime comes and the drone swarm comes in and you activate your anti-drone device, it turns out that actually, no, all these drones have been made proof against it. And now you have problems. So it, the, the, the funnier part about it is the only way I can really see to maintain operational security over your anti-drone tech and keep the drone swarms away from your own ships is to counter them with your own drone swarms. So you could literally be seeing mini dogfights of little one and two pound drones equipped with little um, lances or nets or whatever, trying to smear each other and pull each other out of the sky. We haven't got experience in this, or you know, none of us have uh, have actually got, been looking at this. Actually, our very own drone operator has been using what the group with him have sta have starred his Yoko Ono to actually do counter drone warfare Ooh. when there was a drone which was really annoying him at home <laughs> yes yeah i've i've, I've started chasing chasing off and around other drones with my own drone um which has and been what, what, what did you do you put a put a lance on the end of it to skewer it or uh, i wish because my little drones are sub 250 it can't it doesn't have too much lifting power but um i have a cable on it i guess no, I, I, I took um, a carp net um, and took the handle off. So I just had the, the, the ring and the netting, um, taped it to the underside of the drone and then use it, switched it into sports mode and chased down the other drone, um, flew over it, caught it in the net. And of course, as soon as it was caught in the net, that uh, since the net was only held on by a bit of sticky tape, it pulled the net off the, my drone. So my drone took a second to recover its altitude, but the other drone was snagged in um, about 20 metres of, of finish fishing-grade nylon. Um, I don't know if the guy ever came to, whoever it was, came to retrieve it, but they were being very annoying. If I can come up with that solution in five minutes, I'm pretty sure somebody can do better if they actually stop and think about it, although they'll probably charge the Navy £120 million for the solution. <laughs> Oh, look, it makes such a. Look, I mean, it'll have to be ethically sourced. Mm, it'll have to yeah, be well, actually, no, that's true. At sea, you don't be dropping random bits of nylon netting into the sea, so it'll have to be you know, yeah. biodegradable hemp netting or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I mean, you know, and it's yeah. not too yeah. really hard to find anyway. Still be horrific. Hemp netting up. already exists, actually. Oh, as you say, anything, you know, anything military grade, as we mm. know, it means poor quality, overcharged. So, you know, this is why fanboys buy the military grade stuff and the military guys never buy the military grade stuff. It, yeah. It, it, yeah, it reminds me of the, the, uh, a meme I saw where, it, where uh, it said, when somebody hears military grade in quotation marks, and it's got a picture of a, 
um i think it's taken from frozen but basically the like the, the person labeled civilian is just kind of like oh yeah you're really happy and like worshiping it and the person next next to them is uh just labeled as actual military personnel and they've just got their head in their hands in the middle of despair <laughs> The only, military, yeah. the, only, the only military grade stuff that I uh, that I've ever managed to get my hands on that I'd go say is substantially better than the average civilian stuff is military grade clothing, because you have to generally speaking you have to make that pretty darn good otherwise, because uh, otherwise it'd have mutinies. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly like, don't want military grade there's, food. There's, there's no reason. Why no, 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 no. No wants military grade food. Not in the military. Mm. There's no reason why you shouldn't can't go into business making aftermarket add-ons for drone packages for um, you know aerial intercept capability. No, like a very good idea to me. No, and I mean, it's, it, I think it's this. If anything, it's this broad spectrum of observational capabilities at the moment. In the future, we will probably see. In fact, we know we're going to see drones with weapons, whether they be off-board weapons platforms for. for manned ships or completely autonomous attack platforms um, i mean technically speaking a torpedo is has been for the last several decades an yeah. autonomous yeah. kamikaze drone um but um it i think at, right now it's the reconnaissance value that is going to be the, the the biggest thing because What's the current recon capability? You can either rely on satellites, which are big and expensive and not necessarily there all the time. Even if you get CubeSats working, okay, they're not as big, they're not as expensive, but you still can't rely on them being there all the time. And they, you still have the limitation of you looking down from several hundred kilometers up. Or you can send in a manned recon aircraft of some description, but there's certain minimum size requirements as a result of having a person in there and you're running a huge risk of it being if it gets shot down or observed and you don't have so many as too many of them again because of size and cost issues um whereas uh, so yeah referencing what we mentioned early, earlier if you look at what they're doing in ukraine with civilian drones that are, you know a couple of kilos a piece if that and what they're likely to and what they're doing with current dr military drones even if they are slightly larger they're small they're relatively speaking cheap therefore they can be in multiple places at once they therefore provide a much greater amount of sensor coverage and if you happen to lose one it's not anywhere near as big a deal you lose a whole flight of them i suppose but mm. again it, 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 it's more dangerous to take down that flight than it is to actually lose that flight mm. because as you were saying um when you're in the middle of a shipping lane, um, your actions have got consequences beyond your immediate bubble. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, but I get, you know, it, it would be rather hard to declare a no fly zone around every naval vessel in the, the world. Yeah. Um, sets an interesting precedent for all sorts of things, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and then obviously going forward, it's, um, Going forward, you're going to have the other problem of, you know, once once there are large numbers of drones out there that have the cap at least the capability of moving with a similar profile to some kind of assault attack weapon, um, like a missile or whatever, or themselves being potentially carriers for weaponry, 
you then run into the saturation problem of, you know, a small compact drone is going to be much, much, much cheaper and easier to build than um, potentially, you know, a, a relatively large anti-shipping missile because anti-shipping missiles have to carry a fair amount of explosive. But if you're relying on something like a radar return where you can put radar reflectors and stuff on a small drone to simulate such a thing, at which point, you know, you, you have, again, you, you have this saturation issue of you switch on your radar, um, you look out and you see 50, 100, 200 profiles moving in at you, all of which are broadly similar. Which ones do you engage? Especially with what we, you know, what we've been saying before with the fact that a lot of ships these days really don't actually carry that many munitions. So if you're if you're a type 45 and you have 48 Sea Viper and some and your radar goes right, there's a hundred missiles coming in. Now what? You can only shoot down about half of them, assuming that everything, all of your weapons work absolutely perfectly. And even if you know that 75% of them are decoys, little drone decoys, and only two dozen are actual missiles, how do you choose which ones to shoot down? Again, I suppose that's where you come into the whole, you've got to upgrade your sensors mm-hmm. and start working in that whole hyperspectral. Um, yeah, well, if you had your own drone swarm issues. out there, then maybe your, your drone swarm could identify the targets as they come past visually and go, well, you know, on radar, yes, they might all be the same, but, you know, this thing's a, a 20-foot-long thing spewing rocket exhaust, and this thing's a two-foot-long thing with a bit of tinfoil strapped to the back. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you want to go after the bigger one. But that, again, it relies on sensor fidelity. It relies on a widespread Seem- network. A seemingly unrelated question, but it's not. Um, which out of your vessels that you toured over in Canada recently would have been best placed to defend itself against your drone? Probably Hyder. What did Hyder have? Probably. Well, I'm just thinking because of, of the two ships that would be contending, it would be Hyder and the Sullivans. Um, and Sackville. Sackville's not going to be in the same drone defense position as Hyder. But she actually does have a 40 millimeter pom pom. She does, but Hyder's got four bofers at the moment and would have had pom-poms and, and bofers yeah. and all looking involved. And plus she has, and a lot Hyder, has, has, Hyder has um, four four-inch in two twin mounts and a They're twin three-inch. Three inch, yeah. yeah. See, the thing is that with the, with the Sullivans, with, with them in there... Well, I'm, I'm, talking here, I'm talking here about your sort of smallish civilian drive. Yeah, if you're, if you're talking about their wartime configuration, it would be an interesting one because the Sullivans would have five guns, five long-range five-inch guns, plus a whole slew of 20 and 40 mil. Nowadays, in the fig, in the configuration she's in at the moment, she's only got four five-inch guns, um, but she does have some three-inch autos as well, as and some bofers. And Hyder has four four-inch, pair of three-inch, and a bunch of 40s. Um, so, so the, yeah. the reason why I ask is that you know the the footage coming out of Ukraine of mm. you know large to small medium civilian drones carrying plastic cups holding grenades. Mm. We've seen over the past two or three decades a lot of concern and effort put into defending warships against suicide attack from speedboats. Mm. 
um, and, the, and the like. But let's face it, why do that when you can now simply run over um, a dozen, half dozen, several dozen grenade carrying drones? And what is the best way to deal with them? Well, I imagine that a, a phalanx would run out of bullets after it took down the first two or three. Um, then what have you got? I imagine that the Sackville's 40 millimeter pom-pom would be a, 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 a good fallback option. Um, and as you say, you know, a, a nice quad mounted 40 millimeter, but again, a quad mount 40 millimeter seems like a bit of overkill. Mm. If, if, um, too many barrels focused on the one target at any one time. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, I'm sure that navies are sitting there with their 50 caliber machine guns still on their decks, hand operated. Mm. Um, you know, is that enough? Well, it might be enough to slow down a, an oncoming um, civilian fishing boat or possibly even a mm. you know, not, not so fast speedboat. Is it enough to take down a drone swarm? See, the, the, my, my feeling is that for, for drone swarms, you've kind of got a catch-22 because if you use something that has small, cheap ammunition, so you're not vastly overdoing it, then a lot of that stuff is going to be man-operated. And, you know, trust me, we, like even with my, my little drones, if you take them up to like 100 metres in altitude, you can barely see them, let alone shoot them. Um, Carrying a cup with a grenade in it might be a bit yeah. bigger than that, but yeah. But, but you know, it, they're metres, probably going to yeah. be more than 100 metres away. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you run into the problem of, yes, each individual round is cheap, but how many rounds do you have to expend to, to get the thing? Um, so flak. Yeah, which then means flak, which means exploding shells, which means you're going up in calibre, at which point, you know, the three inch, something like the three inch with uh, proximity fuse or something probably is about right because it's got it's got enough range to get up there. The ammunition is still relatively cheap and plentiful. Um, and the burst of, of shrapnel is probably enough to take out the drone. Um, but then you've got to have the three inch gun. You've got to have everything. Uh, the ammunition feeds. Associated with it. Mm. So, so it's one of the. Um, it's what I think it's one of the places, one of those places where actually lasers might be more viable. The, the reason why I'm not, the, the reason why I'm not discussing lasers here is, of course, uh, HMS yeah. Hunter isn't even going to be able to run its uh, engines at full power and its radar at the same time. So it certainly mm. won't be carrying lasers. Uh, so I think no. we'll be going and raiding Sackville for its forty millimeter. <laughs> but then again, well, you, know, see, if you, you say this, and they, I keep um, coming back to the same thing. In the nicest way, the whole thing that sells the Type Twenty Six to everyone is that they had. Three layers of hull were designed design for it, for which the British and the Australians have both gone for the smallest option. The Canadians have gone for the intermediate, and no one's gone for the largest. And they all have a scalable power pack, which can be scaled all the way from supplying your frigate to supplying your aircraft carrier. Stop, it's a stop very talking good sense. system. Stop so talking sense. Why I can the see the frick I can see are you going the for too small a hull off. with not enough power? I can see all the politicians turning off this podcast right now. You're talking too much sense. Come on. Look, it's part of the design metrics. It won't actually cost you any more money. It's there. It's there. 
Stop complaining about something for which the solution already exists and was in, built in from the beginning. Complaining use, about things that have an obvious solution is a classic politician thing, though. <laughs> it, it's like even the Canadians went for the bigger, slightly bigger hole, but went for the same size freaking power pack. Yeah, well, bear in mind this 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 was the same Australian government that you know the, the one that ordered these things is also the same Australian now ex government who were planning on trying to order nuclear, well, at least according to their former defence minister statements, were planning on trying to order nuclear submarines from the one of the two powers they'd just aligned themselves with who didn't have any open submarine building slots for at least a decade. And also the ones that require the most personnel, most expense to run, and... Probably have substandard steel because of the... um, Yes. <laughs> One wonders how to buy American. I, I, I'm just interested, you know, now that he's no longer got a job, is this ex defense he's, he's, he's now he's now the leader of the opposition. So, yeah. oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, no, not that much of a job then. But when, when he retires, oh, I'm just Lord. I'm just ma- wondering whether he's going to um, magically find himself in a uh, sinecure directorship position with General Dynamics. Or electric boat, or something like that. Um, I mean, it was like when I was when I was in the states. It was pointed out to me. There's a very good Don't reason. Get all the major if you actually deliver on it, not if uh, you just uh, speak uh, in uh, favour of it. Uh, no, that's I, why I just it's in your position. I warn you at this point, point, he, what? Is, he is litigation happy as well. Hmm. So you might. <laughs> well, I'm ju- I'm just speculating, but all, all I'm uh, saying we're is we're just talking hypotheticals based on. Pass examples. Plus, also, also to be honest, that would, of these companies. him hearing about it would require he actually listens to us, and given most of his decisions, <laughs> he obviously doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I was like when I was in the states, when I was driving through DC, I was reminded by uh, one of the locals. You know, yes, here is the Pentagon um, on one side of the freeway, and on the other side of the freeway is a suspicious number of. Um, regional offices for all the major defense contractors who <laughs> seem to have decided that massive signs with all of their logos and names on it should all be facing not you know the general public not the waterfront not the city not even really the freeway itself they all happen to be perfectly aligned to the pentagon almost like they're reminding the people inside of where their pension's coming from and let me uh, guess slap bang in the middle are the most expensive restaurants in town yeah pretty yes. much um so yeah and i would say don't go to those restaurants because you get very tiny portions for a lot of money and someone's sitting there raving about it and going how you should be impressed you're sort of going i'm i'm sorry but i get more in a british burger king than i do in this restaurant and that is saying probably got something. fewer chemicals in it as well yeah um but no it's yeah it's, so, so so what's the closest what's the closest museum to the pentagon Oh, there's probably anything down in Norfolk, so it's probably Wisconsin. Because um, I think you were mentioning earlier, Alex, that uh, mm. if you don't know where your closest um, maritime heritage vessel is, then you're not really in the right. We were uh, line literally of work. talking with people who were 500 yards away mm-hmm. from Hyder, and they didn't realize Hyder was there. Because she's behind a row of trees. And not particularly well signed. No, no, not particularly well signed. Um, so maybe, they should, maybe they should 
uh, you know, to get a, a get a um a signage deal with one of the defense contractors and uh, point the sign to the, <laughs> the Pentagon. What was interesting was you could find a single sign on the whatever we want to call the the four hundred one running past it because honestly the 401 i'm not sure if i want to call it a, a, a freeway an expressway a motorway but the main road you can find a single sign saying turn off for this and then you found no more signs after that to take you to actually hide it <laughs> so you can say turn off and then you're going i'm now in hamilton where is hider uh, well, one thing i can don't say, ask least... a local most of them didn't know at least when it comes to HMAS Vampire, you can't miss it. It's right in the bay alongside of the centre of the city. So, I, I have a feeling, though, to be to be completely fair to them, I have a feeling there may well have been more signs up there. But you remember that de- that development bulletin board that was just around the corner mm. there, because that whole area where Hyder is was scheduled up for redevelopment in I think 2016. If I was reading the dates, 2014 on those boards, to right, 2018. Yes. Oh, there you go. So mid, yeah, 2016 is the midpoint. And, you know, it had all these plans. You know, we're redoing this beach. We're redeveloping this. We're building towers here and there and everywhere. And to be fair, a fair amount of that has actually occurred, um, except for the bit around that's immediately adjacent to Hyder, which was supposed to be a, have been a bunch of tower blocks that were where work was supposed to have started in 2018. And it's currently a set of roads enclosing was, some interesting scrubland. Um, well, so I, I the only one thinking that the wish, wishing them luck on that one because there was the fact that there was the federally owned, I think it was grain or fuel plant, the other side of Hyder from that development. Mm. Oh, which the, the, had right, marine, so it was the, the LPG plant. Yeah, which has the marine diesels running the whole time. Yes. But, I mean, yes, COVID might, COVID might have um, slowed all that down, but I have a I mean, I don't know, but I have a feeling that perhaps maybe there were some additional signs in the area and they all got ripped up with the original roads as part of the redevelopment. And since the redevelopment hasn't finished, they haven't put all the signs back yet. But something something for us to maybe communicate with them and say, you know, can we crowdfund you a bunch of signs to help people find you? <laughs> um, I don't know what Canadian road traffic laws are like, but there you go. Mm. Um, but no, I think the, 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 the last, like I say, with the with respect to point defense, the lasers, I genuinely think, might actually have a viable role here because we know there have been all sorts of issues with trying to get working laser weapons. But most of those programs have been looking at offensive laser weapons in terms of can we melt a hole through this steel encased missile that's traveling at Mach 3 um, in a reasonable amount of time, which is you know a fairly big ask. Whereas distracting for a second, but Jamie Sloppy Research Assistant is looking very snugly behind him. Whereas um can just sort of moved and went, yeah. Can we melt through this mostly plastic and microelectronics based one pound annoyance at you know a tenth of the range when it can't really move to evade? Then give you civilian defense, you know, defense against an improvised explosive device kind of situation. But uh, I guess it put it once again scale it up and then all of a sudden it becomes useless though. but it's still better to have it than well, not and yeah and if you, scale, if you force them to scale it. up if you force them to scale up you're now looking at um much bigger much bigger much heavier built mm. drones etc at which point they start to enter the realm of full-scale munitions 
or small aircraft, at which point the cost goes up, so there's fewer of them, and then you're back into the realms of, you know, CRWS or missile systems become a viable option to take them down. Um, also, yeah. there is the fact that the more you use things like lasers, again, it's kind of like with guns. If you've got a small laser, yes, if it's functioning, but if you if it's you being used a lot, that's going to experience you're going to get in using lasers, and the experience you get in using lasers is going to actually help improve your program. And so I also can't see why I can't, also can't see why you can have can't have a multi-purpose laser device, which you know you can use for communication slash targeting slash knocking down annoying civilian drones. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I guess it's a matter of um, you know the spectrum it's on and the, the power that's being pumped into it. Well, also, um, there's always the fact that with lasers, we often use multi-beam lasers now that sort of they pump multiple beams into the mm -hmm. single output. And it might be for dealing with a drone, you only have to use a single beam pumped in there. Whereas dealing with something bigger, you turn it on and go, right then, all six. Don't do that. Lock up. Bang. True. But still, you need, to, you need the generation capability to handle all six. Yes, which is why, frankly, um, the small nuclear reactors are looking very good for a Type 83 <laughs> design to my design. Uh, my mind. Uh, I'm just wondering also, how, how big nice is way, a... We have a scalable power plant system for the new escorts uh, coming on. through if you decide to use it. How big is the gym on the Type 26? Big enough. <clears throat> Sorry, not 26. Type. Um, is, is it 26? Mental blank. Uh, well, I the Type 45, which is a yeah. hunter? No, the are 26. How big is the yeah? We, we we have had this fun in Canada because people kept going, What are you talking about? It's a CSC, and going, No, it's the type 26. Uh, how big is the gym? The gym can is we fine. Hook, can we hook up the exercise bikes to the laser system? No, hmm. why would you want to hook up the exercise what bike? You, uh, what, you could do, what you could do, admittedly, yeah. that might make that might get, make the marines even more multi purpose <laughs> than they are. But why? If you're going to fight something called a gas turbine, but if you're going to fight in the Western Pacific, the marines on bikes to the laser system. If you're going to well, fight in the yeah. Pacific, though, you might as well just slap some solar panels on the sides of the hull. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, the mod modern whole superstructures, you haven't got the boxes anymore or anything. You've got these wonderful angled, fared, very large monolithic superstructures going on. You might as well, you know, there's probably several hundred square metres of potential solar panelling you can put on there. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm basically, Dr. Clark, I'm trying to figure out some out-of-the-box solutions for the Australian hunter classes of power problems. Okay. Here is Wind one. Turbines? Go for... Wind, wind you turbines. haven't started building yet. Go to option list, select intermediate or large hull. Large hull preferable, but intermediate will do. As part of increase, in select for filling that hull space, enhanced power plant. Ding, ding, done. Now you have working hunter class frigate. Well, hey, we can all go home and celebrate with champagne. All well, is yeah, done. The, the, the other alternative, as I said, is you know, you've got these um, vertical vertical wind turbines now the ones that look a bit like corkscrews put put one of those in place of the main mast because the foremast position is occupied by the radar but put one as the main mast oh, okay yeah. but and then that's it... going to create a joyous radar return isn't it whenever it's working it'll confuse the heck out of everything because the radar <laughs> return will flick in fact actually it'll mean no chinese radar operator can operate if they have epilepsy because the thing will be flickering so much <laughs> It'll basically be the equivalent of a disco ball 
the radar equivalent of a disco ball visually. And 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 the faster you go, the more wind, more power there is. Okay, I think we're all uh, <laughs> suffering. You two are definitely suffering from overtiredness and jet uh, so the, the only other thing that was <coughs> on our list of things to mention is the fact that the Type 003 aircraft carrier looks like it may be being launched any day or possibly yeah, any I think the latest, I think the latest satellite photographs show the bunting already in place and the, uh, mm. and the parade and um, presentation um, scaffolding put in place to replace the uh, scaffolding that was around the, mm. um, the accelerators. So, um, yeah. yeah, which is, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I was just comparing if, if the... Stop work started in 2017 if it's launched this month, 2022. So it's taken, what, 18, 19, 20, 25 years from Kiel to launch. Um, and it's, it, it is a supercarrier. Um, it's not quite as big as the American ones, but it still is a supercarrier. And then I was taking a quick look at the various, well, the, the two current Ford class and um that are due out and ford and kennedy have both been launched and they're taking about four years um launch uh, from keel to launch so mm. the fact that this is the chi first first chinese supercarrier and they've taken 20 percent longer to launch it it'd be interesting to see how quickly the next one launches yeah i mean because you know you definitely you definitely learn a lot building that mm. first one, don't you? Um, and and they, okay, so they built Shandong before it, but that was a completely different design. Yeah, sure and then some some components. They'll have some experience, but the size difference is so large, I wouldn't yeah. read too much into it. Although related to that, actually, interestingly, when they've, I think, yeah, Shandong's gone in for a refit, and as part of its modernization and update, people have spotted various um, UAVs on the deck. Mm. which, you know, in a way kind of loops back to everything we've been discussing earlier of, okay, it, it's very speculative because it's based on one single picture, but, mm. you know, the, 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 of all people, the Tur Turkish Navy were for a while have been saying they're going to build their LHD as a drone carrier. Mm. Um, I, I just wonder if maybe the Chinese might be thinking of this because they all, have always said Liaoning and Shandong would be trainer carriers to help them work out how to do fly tops for their big ships mm. once they've got the big ship which type 003 fairly soon will be um do they maybe look at again going well you've, we've got these smaller aircraft carriers they don't carry a particularly meaningful full-sized air group but if we put lots of smaller drones on them do if they now become the drone carriers to support the manned aircraft carrier that the type 003 is it makes mm. perfect sense. I mean, it's, it makes and eventually, the Type 004 sense. nuclear powered carrier will be. If if they go down that path, I mean, yeah. I don't know what oh, let's be honest. That's what. They, let, let, let's well, be honest. Well, their carrier program they, fulfills two criteria. Their carrier program, their carrier program fulfills two criteria. One of them is great power politics to give them something to glo uh, to have global reach and global presence. To basically expand themselves around the world and show that they are the power they often think of themselves as. And secondly, it's matching up with the Americans. And let's be honest: the first time they when the Chinese launch a nuclear-powered carrier, the U.S. Congress is going to have an absolute panic attack. 
I suppose the only reason they didn't do it this time is because they haven't actually put the sea a nuclear power vessel yet. So nope. going out with a, building a carrier and building a carrier with um, supposedly um, electromagnetic As uh, catapults. Um, I as guess our, they wanted to minimise the degree of risk. But, um, as our colleague Drak NFL often likes to point out, the Chinese are taking a very iterative approach to this. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing. They're doing a very iterative yeah. approach. And, and let's face it, you know, they've now got those J-15s that could barely take off the Shandong with just a couple of you know, medium-range anti-aircraft missiles stuck to the ends of the wing because they couldn't get enough uh, takeoff velocity. They will now be operating off of the you know, 003. So Shandong, why keep it operating an aircraft that is minimally combat effective when you can put on there a drone that is maximally combat effective as a drone? So, yeah, it, again, it makes perfect sense. Hmm. Right. And it, it, it comes back to the argument. Uh, once you start using it in a, in a role that's more generally effective, why ever return it to its previous incarnation, i.e., the, the only the... case against that is because one vessel is a white elephant, two is a capability depending on availability, three is an availability, four is a true capability. And if you have three carriers, you now constantly have the availability of a carrier for operations. So converting one to drones is fine, but that drops you down to an available available capability. When it's available, it's a capability. When it's not, it's uh, not. But, uh, but, but, it's, but I don't think Shandong or Liaoning can be called, you know. They're not, not, I'm not talking about perhaps in wartime fighting terms, but I'm talking <clears throat> in terms of presence of your battle, okay. of your task groups. Yeah. If you're sending a task group through into it, mm. we've talked about this before. If the Chinese turn up with a carrier and a whole load of modern looking destroyers off the coast of Vietnam when a US carrier is visiting, and all the US carrier has is a load of tired-looking books because they've been worked so hard, what's the impression? Mm. What's the equivalent thing the Americans can send? And, and you want, and you want your Shandong to have a, an evil-looking uh, J-16 sitting on It doesn't deck. matter if it can launch the thing or not. It has, just has to sit on deck and look freaking scary. That's mm. all it has to do in that, because it's it's about impressions you and i might know that it doesn't work that it's not really going to launch that well with a meaningful payload jamie but how many of your colleagues who are just looking at the pictures and be writing the headlines and the front page of the newspapers actually will do that research and know that i will have the time to do that research and know that you know i don't want to put them down because i know journalists do a very very hard job but you get that, especially in the modern online journalism, you get minutes to write mm. up reports. And there are very few who are defense specialists who are going around who are there to write the reports up. Mm. No, you're right. And it's the PR, the propaganda value, you know, is immense. As you say, as you say in this period of uh, brinkmanship slash um, grey zone you know, uh, operations where... The, the intimidation is more value than anything else. All right. Well, look, I think we should probably keep this one tight today. Mm-hmm. So, we will do. Um, welcome back. Thank you. 
and I'm. I do love the way that every I, I, time I, I, we go away, I'm, people start talking about taking over bilge pumps. <laughs> well, the, usually all it's Sal. Just, just tell them that you'll sell up for the price of, of, of uh, you know, one museum ship. Mm. Which one choice. do we want? Uh, which one do we want, Drac? Um, delivered. <laughs> which one would you like for the UK? Uh, Shall we say take Midway? No, that's in a really nice position. Okay. I'll have to think on it. Yeah, we'll have to think. What museum ship will we like? Oh, what's, what's the one that's... Um, is, is, is it a river? There's a river that um, Egypt still has. It's sitting there. Wimbrel's oh, the a destroyer. Was it? Okay. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was, but it was a, the last of its type that was people were trying to save a couple of years ago. It's probably gone by now. But it's not oh, a museum ship. Well, we shall see. But in that case, everybody, tune back in hopefully next week for episode 92. And um, a much more rested, much more rested and awake set of uh, UK <laughs> inhabitants. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye. Welcome to the Bilge Pumps. Bunch of naval geeks spout 